Hi folks, this is Jack Spierka with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Today is April 21st, 2016. This is episode 1770 of the Survival Podcast. It's a listener call show. We had a preemption yesterday. I had a technical failure. Um, I did a great interview with a guy named Ben Page. The show topic was finding wellness in a hectic world. The interview went great. Everything went the way it was supposed to. Recorder was on. When we hung up, it said processing recording, and then in like a half a second, it said recording processed. Generally, that takes a couple minutes. That was the first sign that something was wrong. The file said it was an hour and 24 minutes long. The actual file was about seven seconds long and about 70 kilobits and had no sound on it whatsoever. I do not know what happened. I've been using Aftec Skype Recorder now for over two years. I've never had that happen. Sometimes technology fails. I heard from a couple of people, well, two's one and one's done. Isn't that what you always say? It is what I always say. And I just want you to know, I have gone through five or six different solutions to attempt to have duplicated recordings for interviews in case that happens. And nothing that I found worked and did not degrade quality significantly. So um, there's no real good way to do this about the only backup that I've ever found and the quality sucks so bad I decided it wasn't worth doing because we never had failures since I switched from Pamela to Aftec is to take an MP3 recorder with a little lapel microphone on it, set it in front of the speaker uh, so I'm recording the guest off the speaker from the computer and myself at distance. That's about the only way uh, that I can create a backup and I may have to start doing that because it sucks when something goes wrong with the recording but this has never occurred before. With um, the standalone shows like I'm doing today, I always have a backup. I have a Mac and a PC, and I do most of my work on my PC for editing, and also I record on the PC. But I also have a mic from the Mac, and I just have a recording app on the Mac, and I just hit record for both of them. And I don't, like when I pause and stuff on the PC, I don't pause on the Mac. I would have to do some editing that I normally don't have to do, but it's there. So I actually do have redundancy in everything but the interview shows. And like I said, there's just been no good way that I have found yet to be able to do that. So, just a thought. Uh, what are we going to talk about today? Well, it's listener call show, of course. So here's your show that you have made for yourselves by calling in. And if you think that we should have more varied topics, then pick up the phone, mash some buttons on it, 866-65-THINK, 866-65-THINK. Remember to have your idea, your point, your concept in your mind or written down. And one or two sentences, ask your question, make your point, then give me all the details you want. That's the best way to do a call. Um, almost everybody that called in this week is on the air right now because we had to preempt the last show, and I moved that to Monday. So it's only been three days since the last call-in show. So I have a clean slate on calls right now. I have a bunch of old calls that didn't get screened through the first time that I can go back and weed through. Or you guys can get me new calls for next Thursday's show, 866-65-THINK. Remember, quiet area, lots of bars on those cell phones. Don't call me with one bar. There'll be nobody to tell you. You sound like, okay? Uh, so today we have, uh, well, I'm going to start off. It's not a call but an email from a very hateful, angry person at me because I dared to let you guys know about a good deal from Grant Schultz. And I'm going to tell you why I generally do not take money for deals like that, and I didn't this time either. And I think it's important that you guys know this. Uh, though it probably won't appease the person that emailed me. It's also important that occasionally I'm a dick on the air. I really am. I know. I try my best not to be. 
And if you guys get a little look into what I deal with every day, maybe it'll be a little more understanding when I do have a snap gasket. Uh, next up, we have a, a person that emails in with a different take on Leo's with body cameras. A person that's called many times and says, I'm all for it. And then this cop brought up an issue. Does it turn law enforcement officers, officers essentially into drones for the state? I don't mean in the malicious way some people say that. I mean they have a camera on them, they go all over the place, and everything gets recorded. Does that change how we should look at body cameras for law enforcement officers? Um, a listener also called in and said, Hey, that guy that had all the excess white pine trees, I have an idea for maybe the ones that remain standing. It has to do with Arctic Kiwi. Uh, next, I had a caller call in, the same old, same old about minimum wage. You guys don't get this, and it's about automation and minimum wage, and since it's coming, all the fast food places are going to go to kiosks. I'm going to explain to you why that has absolutely nothing at all to do with minimum wage. And the reason we keep revisiting this is, one, it keeps coming in, but two, I think it's important, folks, that if you're going to try to be economically prepared, you actually understand the economic cycles in this country. If you want to grow a business, like many of you do, you understand the trials of running a business, and you understand economic literacy. Uh, so I'm going to try to take a little bit different of a take on this subject since we have talked about it so much, but I think it's something that many of you are stuck on. And you don't actually understand the underlying issue has to do with the trials with employing people, especially low-level labor, not how much their hourly wages. And we'll get more into that in a bit. Next, I've heard from a lot of you guys saying since weather.com sucks now, and it does, why not use Weather Underground? I'm going to talk a little bit about that, how you can actually make it work pretty good for yourself and why it's important, but why it's still not as good as what we had and why I really suggest that you might want to consider uh, getting the weather app from your local affiliate of either Fox News or NBC. Uh, NBC. Okay, I was going to say NBC5, but that doesn't mean that's what it is where you are. It's NBC5 here. Uh, I'm not a big fan of the networks, but they're th those two, the NBC uh, weather app and the Fox weather app, It's basically a corporate app, but they have it broken down for their local affiliates so that it is more tuned toward you. It's actually a better solution so far for me, especially with using on my phone, which is one of the main ways I stay weather aware. We'll talk more about how important that's going to be in the upcoming season because something's about to change. Something's about to change with our seasonal weather for spring. We've gotten off pretty easy this year so far, and I'll tell you about that as well. Um, I keep saying we should have a website like Uber, but for everything. A listener's gotten a start on that and wanted to tell us about his site and ask for feedback. Uh, that'll be a short site because my basic feedback is I can't really tell what it does because nobody's using it yet, but maybe if we got some people on it, we could start to help him develop it because something like this needs to be done. I think it's going to be done by lots of people lots of different ways. Uh, and we'll talk a little about, a bit about what it would mean if we really could create a share economy in our local communities everywhere. And I'll throw a little hint in there for next door again on you, because that is the best thing I've found right now, even though it doesn't quite work this way like Uber would. I also have a question from somebody, very legitimate question, not, not a Marodes question, but on anarchy. Like, if we had an anarchy here in the United States, how would we deal with a threat like ISIS? How would we deal with that? Good question. Fair question. I have an answer you probably won't expect. Next, our last question of the day is from a guy that's a truck driver and says, I travel all the time. I don't have much space. I'd like to garden some, but I'm gone for you know, a week at a time. What can I do? Set it and forget it. 
And I'll tell you a way to do that if you're in that position, but it'll also be something you can use for yourself even if you're not. I'm using it right here on a little bit larger scale. All right, so with all that, before we get into all of your calls today, let's go ahead and hear about the year that was the episode of the year 1770. I have the Boston Massacre, and I have the Ferguson Rifle, a new radical method for mayhem. And I know, let's call it rubber. Um, I'm going to read that one because it's short. Rubber gets its name when the scientist Joseph Priestley realizes the bouncy material can rub off pencil marks. Scientists have been looking for ways to use rubber other than a ball. How about a hose? Rubber has been a novelty item since the Middle Ages when it was introduced to Europe by the Aztecs. Joseph Priestley is the same guy that discovered oxygen, and he made his name when he invented carbonated beverages. But that's not the one I'm going to really read today. I just thought it was short, so I'd tell you about that. That's why they call it rubber, because it rubs off pencil marks like an eraser. Um, the Boston Massacre is what I'm going to read, because we are leading up to the revolution, and it is such a big piece of that. British troops came into Boston to guard against violence. Boston reacted with a boycott of British goods, so the British moved all shipping to Salem. This resulted in an economic downturn and less tax money available to pay the troops. To make ends meet, British soldiers are taking odd jobs in town. This has led to a closing and uh, to close the intermingle led to a close intermingling of the guards with Boston citizens, especially in taverns. Fights break out regularly, and those incidences are scandalized in the newspapers. Recently, an 11-year-old boy was killed by a customs official, so Boston is in an uproar when a young apprentice named Edward Garrick tries to collect an overdue bill at the customs office. After an exchange of insults, Private Hugh White leaves his guard post and strikes Edward on the head for his insolence. Henry Knox, a bookseller and future general of the Revolution, reminds White that if he kills the boy, it means a murder charge. A mob forms, so Captain Preston reinforces White with armed troops. Captain has no intention of ordering his men to fire, but someone hits Private Montgomery with a rock, causing him to drop his musket. He picks it up, shouts at the mob, and fires. Someone swings a club at Captain Preston. In a few seconds, four protesters lie dead in the street. Many others are wounded, and some will die later. Captain Preston and his men are arrested for murder. Boston is crying for their blood. My take by Alex Shrug, who puts these together for us at TSP Wiki. The newspapers really stirred up the crowd, urged on by Samuel Adams and his buddy John Hancock. Samuel's second cousin, John Adams, was a lawyer and a good one. He later became the President of the United States. John defended the British troops at trial. Captain Preston was acquitted since he never gave the order to fire, and he had been standing in front of the muskets at the time of the incident. Two of his men were convicted of manslaughter. The jury felt the soldiers were sufficiently threatened that it wasn't murder. For the modern equivalent, see the Kent State Massacre in 1970, when the National Guard fired 67 shots into a crowd of unarmed college students. Afterward, criminal charges against the guard were dropped. When Captain Preston's trial was on the up and while Captain Preston's trial was on the up and up, the Boston Massacre became a rallying cry for the abuses of British rule in this government. As with all propaganda, the first casualty is the truth. Adams and others made the Boston Massacre sound like a genocide. Yeah, they did. And as we've said, not all of our founders were angels. And my thought, though, is, well, why did this happen? Did this happen because the rabble-rousing by the Sons of Liberty caused it to happen? Sure, but when we look at the cause of something, we have to keep going back from what we think is the cause until we find what actually initiated it. Uh, you know what initiated this? Martial law. Martial law. That's what this was. You send the troops in to control the town. 
Um, and then when people resist it, you claim that they're the bad guy. Now, in this, I think what I'm going to leave it with is I think the best thing you could do, the most accurate reproduction of what really happened, it's not 100%, but it's damn close, is in the HBO miniseries John Adams that tells the story of Adams defending these men as an attorney. And I think the most remarkable thing is after Adams just basically saves these men's lives as their defense attorney, and he says they would, you know, basically something you'd be mindful to think about things like this in the future, the uh, Captain Preston basically tells him to shut his hull and not forget who he's talking to. More things change, the more they stay the same. With that, let's hear from our two sponsors of the day. Hey, folks, have you ever wondered how I seem to know so much about so many things in the self-reliance industry? Well, one reason why is that I've been a loyal subscriber to Backwoods Home Magazine for over 20 years. With great writers like Masada Yub, Jackie Clay, and Dave Duffy, they have it all. From homesteading to guns to libertarian views, along with a great website and forum. Check them out at BackwoodsHome.com to learn more. Hey folks, if silver and gold are not part of your current economic preparedness plan, they should be. In fact, for over eight years I have recommended that listeners keep 5-10% to of their wealth in precious metals as a wealth assurance program. And JM Bullion is my personal choice for all my precious metal purchases. They offer some of the best pricing in the industry and free shipping on top of it. Check out jmbullion.com to learn more. And with that, I want to talk about something as, as we lead off today. An email that I got... Uh, from a guy I get emails like this from occasionally. He's just a mentally damaged individual that's angry. I just don't understand why people that really hate what you do and just hate everything about you even pay attention to what you're doing. There's so many things you could do with your time other than to watch me. But this is because yesterday I put out a post um, for a, pro uh, a deal by uh, Grant Schultz. And I don't know if any of these are left. There were 30 bundles of this. It was called a Fast Fruits Bundle, uh, 24 fruit bushes for $247. Bucks. And then you can go look and see if there's any left. Um, but Grant made a video just for this audience to, uh, to talk about this. Shows the actual plants. And uh, it is a really good deal. At retail, it'll be $382. Bucks. And so Grant came to me and said, will you, you know, make this available to the audience for $247? Sure. Well, this is the email I got. Nice going, Spirko. I see you've tried to enrich yourself once again at the expense of your audience. While you couldn't put out a show today, you sure as heck managed to put out a way for you to make more money off of people. I guess that's just what you're all about. Okay, first of all, guys, this is a tame email. This is so much less hateful than some of the stuff I get. And the reason I'm reading it, though, is because this guy's got a problem. I don't know, maybe his mom brought him his toasted cheese this day and it wasn't quite warm enough for him or once I got a little overly browned while he was playing video games in the basement or whatever. I, I don't know what his deal is. But if that's the perception that people have, even if they're okay with it, that when I bring a deal to you like from Old Grouch or from Grant Schultz or from anybody where it's not an MSB uh, discount or something like that, I just somebody comes to me and goes, I got, I got 50 of these, I'm willing to put it on like a fire sale price, And earn some earn some capital because I need it, and that's what Grant is. Grant's this is he's running a farm, and this is the time of year it's capital intensive. So I've got these plants. If I move them, I can get some capital for the farm. I don't take any money for this. I'm often offered 
money. I can give you X amount. And it's like, just put it in the price and pass it on to the customer. I make my money on this show by selling access to discounts, by other things you guys do to support me, like shopping Amazon or what have you, when you're going to do that anyway. And I make money through my sponsors, which is actually a very small portion because I haven't ever really raised my rates. I think I raised my rates once on my sponsors by like $500 a year. And that was when I went from like 20,000 listeners to like 50. And I've never raised them again because they're small companies and I like them and I want them to be part of what we're doing. And I see me helping you have a relationship with them as part of my job. So... If anybody out there thinks the reason you see me bring these deals to you is so that I can make a skim or a cut on it, please understand I don't. And the reason I don't, there's actually several reasons I don't. One, the best deal I can get for you involves me not taking money. And I'm trying to get you guys good deals because you support me, you share my show, you listen to it. Mo many of you join the MSB and you're, you're already contributing financially to what I do. So if I try to take more, I can't get that for you. And I do the same thing with MSB. I don't take a penny for a person to be listed in the MSB. They have to qualify. They have to be good enough. They have to be scalable. They have to have enough of a reputation that I trust them. And they have to understand what they're doing and, and, and not think, well, I want to do it for two weeks. It doesn't work that way. The commitment is minimum one year. And that works fabulous. I don't take anything because I could not negotiate it. The next thing is sentiment like this guy But lower sentiment, oh, he's just, he's just shelling that stuff to make money. No, no. When someone brings me a deal that that's good and says, will you pass it on to your audience, I think you'd probably be mad at me if I didn't. And you know, if you do a little math there, 30 bundles, what do you think Grant could afford to sell plants like that and pay me anyway? What would I make off of it? You know, 300 bucks, 600 bucks? I mean... I know for some people that's a lot of money, and to me, I mean, if when I get a bill for six hundred dollars, I'm not happy. But in the end, I think the goodwill of passing that stuff on to you guys at the best rate I can get for you exceeds six hundred dollars in value. But long term, with people sticking around, being members, stuff like that, being willing to use my link for Amazon versus something else, that, that pays way more than six hundred dollars. I believe when you do good things for people, that karma is real, real. Physical, mechanical karma is real, not spiritual karma is what I'm talking about here. I'm not talking about when you put out good things, people reciprocate. That that's how people act. That's why volunteerism works. So I just want you guys to know that. Next up, let's go ahead and take the first call of the day. This is an interesting one, and it's not far off of what I said would be a problem with this, but I thought the problem was worth it. Here we go. Hey, Jack. It's Jesse in San Diego. Uh, I just have sort of a comment observation about this whole body cams for law enforcement. Uh, I was talking to a buddy of mine who's a police officer in Colorado, and I was saying how much I thought, you know, law enforcement should be wearing body cams, and he had a uh, an idea that maybe changed my mind. Is basically, if you put a body cam on a law enforcement official, official you basically created a little drone that's recording everything that they do and where they go. <laughs> and every time they come to your house, you know, you're basically putting a, a, a government drone in your house or in your car or whatever. And I just uh, like to hear your comment on that idea. All right, buddy. Uh, have a good one. 
Thanks again. So I guess the, answer, the, 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 the way to look at this, first of all, is, is it a concern at all? Okay. And if it, if it is, are there other things that are offsetting to it? And then is the concern worth the value? Okay. So let's start out with, okay, every time the police come to your home. Okay, well, I don't know about you, but the police don't come to my home very often, and they don't get in without a warrant. Um, unless you are a friend of mine and you are a police officer, and then you're welcome to come in as a friend. Okay, that's, that's, that's totally different. And I have actually a couple law enforcement officers in my family. Uh, my brother-in-law's a police officer, and uh, my, I guess you would call him my nephew-in-law, is a police officer who's actually now working for the United States Marshal Service uh, through his local department in Colorado. So I have close associates. I have um, a, a child, the, the child, he's a grown man now, bigger than me. Uh, I remember when he was a little bitty kid that went to the church we used to go to, and we're very good friends with his parents, and he is now the sheriff's deputy, and he patrols my area. He drives up and down right past my road all the time. And I know several of the other deputies, and I'm quite friendly with them. I, I don't have a problem with law enforcement officers. I have a problem with the actions of some law enforcement officers. And I know, and see, some people say to me, well, why do you always say as an anarchist? Because I have all these people that listen to me that know I'm an anarchist and say, you're not supposed to like cops. Okay, well, you're, you're not being realistic, I think. So as an anarchist, I'd prefer that that wasn't being done by the state. But I also realize there's a lot of other things being done by the state, and I don't hate somebody because they pave roads for the state, okay? Um, and I know that the guy that paves roads is not going to do some of the things law enforcement officers do that would have him have these cameras on them in the first place, but there are guys out there doing the best they can. They really are. And I'm not going to hate them because they've chosen a career, especially when I was 25 years old, I would have went into that career if I would have thought it was right for me. I wasn't an immoral or bad person. And today, I, you couldn't get me to do that job. And for totally different reasons, and I chose not to do it back then. Okay, so we all have this walk in life. So let's shelve that, and let's, let's look at reality versus theory. So, number one, I'm not worried about you coming to my house with your body camera as a law enforcement officer because you don't get in my house unless there's good probable cause, reason, and warrant, okay? So that's just out the door. So the one place then that we have these cops all the time usually is driving around in their cars. The cars are equipped with cameras most of the time in most places now anyway. The problem is in many places they're able to turn those cameras off. Or if they can't turn the camera off, the incidences and altercations that can occur can be out of the car's view or the angle would be such that you don't really know what happened. So by having the camera car and the body camera car, just like I said last time, with a better understanding of multiple angles like instant replay in the NFL, we can see more as to what really happened. Okay, And that's useful to us as well. When an officer says a guy tried to grab me, there's, a, there's more evidence to determine whether or not that story is probable. Now, are these 100%? No. But I think as technology gets better, the, the ability to know what's going on will get better as well. Okay, And again, multiple angles. So do, does the state already have cameras like everywhere? There's cameras at like every intersection on major roads and stuff like that. Anyway, so the cameras are out there. But my problem is cameras on my private property. Law enforcement can't be on my property without probable cause or warrant. I'm not willing to let them on my property without probable cause or warrant. 
So it doesn't affect my property any more than what they're driving by with cameras on anyway. Right? So it's not the, you know, you have nothing to fear to, you have nothing to fear if you have nothing to hide thing type of thing that status make as an argument. It is flat out that there's just a, 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 a very low issue with them being like drones. Right? I mean, because the state's going to have all kinds of drones flying around looking at your property from overhead in no time at all. This is a minor concern compared to everything else. So then what does it do? So we are giving up some privacy. Well, one of my big concerns always with the body cameras has been it will make it more difficult for officers to use discretion. Officer pulls you over a state that hasn't, you know, come to sanity yet that still makes something like the possession of a plant illegal, catches you with a half ounce of marijuana in your pocket, in your car, and now he has to cite you for it or maybe arrest you for it, depending on what your state says and what local direction is. All right, where there, I know cops that have caught somebody with a half ounce of grass and just said, I'm going to throw this shit away, get out of here, I don't want to see you again. Right? That kind of thing happens all the time. All the time. And when a cop's worried that he's going to be reviewed, you know, somebody else somewhere might see this. It makes it harder for him to do things like that. So that's, that's a concern as well. But what we get in return for it is when a cop is abusive, we have proof. And when a cop is assaulted, attacked, interfered with by someone that's being an asshole, we have proof. Now, is that proof 100% accurate? It's subjective. Because things are more difficult to understand. But we do have more information by an impartial third party. The camera doesn't have an opinion, it has a view. And it's more accurate, the camera's more accurate, than first account witnesses. People remember things wrong all the time. Eyewitnesses are actually not very accurate in their, you know, explaining what they saw. And this has been proven many times where they take people in a situation, they create an event in front of them, like a guy in a blue jacket runs out, grabs a lady's purse and runs away, and then somebody runs out and goes, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on, this is an experiment. Uh, all you people, if you're willing to, we'd like to know what you saw. This is, Don't worry, the lady's purse is fine, whatever, or the, the, everybody's fine is what they'll say. They won't even say the lady, whatever. And then they'll take eyewitness accounts of people that were right there, that were looking right at it, and they'll say, you know... It was a guy in a red jacket, even though the guy was blue, and he, he pushed this guy down or he punched this person. And what he actually did was grab a lady's bag and run away, and there was no other altercations. Well, the camera doesn't have this, you know, peripheral vision where I think I saw that, so my mind completed it. So I think it gives us enough information to be valid. And again, I'm back to the point where you are a public servant being paid with public money, And we, as the people paying you, have a right to know how you're executing that service. And if there's a contention, you should, if you are not guilty of doing anything wrong, you should want it visible too. And I'm, I'm still back to this. Get a dash camera, get a dash camera, get a dash camera. Because it does so many other things for you. But if you get pulled over by the police, just turn that dash camera and just say, Officer, I'm, I'm more than happy to comply with your legal requests. I just want you to know that I do have a dash camera and I have turned it to the window. And and most and if you're like okay, if you do this, I'm filming you, you better not do nothing. You got to start thinking psychologically about how you react with other people. It's like okay, you want to be an asshole, 
Let's see if on camera I can find a reason to take you to jail now because you're provoking things. But if you say it the way I said it the first time, most cops are going to be like, this guy's got nothing to hide. This, you know, this guy might be, cops might think you're a little bit one of those constitutionalists or something like that. Like the thing you swore an oath to, right? Okay, yeah, just point that out for you guys. You're a constitutionalist? Well, didn't you swear an oath to one? Um, but if you say it, nice and happy and I'm just you know making sure for both of us this is videoed in many places you might say well great I'm videoing it too can you have your license and registration sure where were you going you got to decide sometimes it's uh, down the road why are you here because I drive my car you don't need to know I don't need to tell you where I'm coming or going from and sometimes you know, usually with me like I'm where are you going I'm going home where do you live see the address on the license that's where I'm going and they're shaking you down to see if something else is going on that's what they're doing with that You know, because if you're nervous, you're looking around, is you got something hidden under the seat, that's what they're doing. So when you're completely relaxed with them, because what are you going to do, get a ticket for speeding? Whatever. They, they generally are relaxed too. But if you end up with an asshole, at least it's on camera. So whether or not the state's going to take this step, I think we should. And I think we should increase our surveillance of the surveillers at every level we can. It's my opinion. Let's take another one. Hey, Jack, I was listening to the uh, White Pine Dilemma and popped into my head an interesting prospect. I don't recall where the guy was located, but one of the plants that has grown really well for me have been these Arctic hardy kiwis. And I thought if he were to leave several of the pines up, cut down others, take those, you know, trunks, and basically lash them to the trees that are still growing, plant the kiwi vines, so that they can basically grow up on those as a terrace and have them so those, those are at, you know, arm level, so you can actually harvest once the vines hang down. Then take, as you said, get a chipper, shred the rest in the mold. Find it's going to be a little bit more acidic with any of the needles and the small branches. Lay that out and then plant blueberries underneath, and you're kind of creating almost that edge zone between having the pine trees, the kiwi vines growing around, which will add leaves and some shade, and then blueberries underneath it, um, I think you could get a really sweet, you know, setup. And the one other thought I was like, if he took had more limb, limbs or, or trunks, lay those, create a little deck and he could, in the center that he could sit there, put a little uh, fire pit, And you've basically got a nice little area where you could have shade and a little fire and fruit growing all around you. So just an idea for the guy with the white pine trees. Yeah, that, that's all completely valid. And if I remember right, it was about an acre of pine. So it also doesn't have to be an all or nothing. He wanted to clear some space for a garden to uh, open up solar aspect and have some space. You could do enough for that. I mean, an acre is a pretty big piece of ground. So a lot of that could be left, maybe thin, things like Jason was saying there. Um, and, you know, I had mentioned that one of the few really good mushrooms that grow on pines is called chicken of the woods. It's an orange mushroom that doesn't really, it looks like something dangerous. It's so bright orange. But it's really a pretty good uh, mushroom. But it wasn't very high value. And when I say that, what I mean by high value is it's not worth a lot of money. That doesn't mean you couldn't cultivate quite a bit of it in there and use it. And I do believe it dehydrates just fine. So uh, that's that's another thing you could stack into there. And what it makes me think of is there's a book 
It's called Farming the Woods, an integrated uh, approach to growing food and medicinals in temperate forests. And that might be really worth looking at because it's not really like we did a show last week about establishing small food forests. And Farming the Woods is more about gardening in an existing forest. So those of you that have some of these issues with I have a lot of land, but most of it's already forested, but I'd like to do something with it, but I don't want to cut the trees down because who does? Um, you might really want to check this book out. I'll have a link to it today on Amazon.com. But, Jason, thanks for that call. Yeah, and the kiwis. And then, so the, the problem with pine, with trellising, of course, you got this, the reason they grow for timber, you have this beautiful straight tree with almost no limbs on it, uh, especially when you plant them close. That's how they grow. So using some of the other slash to get the vines up the tree would be pretty cool. And I'll just say I've seen one video of a food forest with a kiwi uh, vine in it. And I believe that kiwi vine was something like 30 or 40 years old. And the base of that vine was bigger around than my thigh. And it went up into a huge canopy tree, and it spread from that canopy to another tree. And I believe, I think it was one of Jeff Lawton's videos, I believe that that one vine drops close to a 1,000 pounds of kiwis a year. The only downside is you can't shake a tree that big, so when they drop, they're really, really ripe, so they have to be used right away. But if, but still, I mean, the abundance there is is just massive. So good stuff from Jason. Uh, as always, keep calling in, Jason, and let's uh, take another one. Hey, Jack, this is Matt in Missouri. Um, first thing I wanted to point out is that you hear people saying, I deserve, not I've earned. Second thing, we talk about this $15 minimum wage. What we're actually talking about is something that's going to kill some jobs. Let me explain. Here in Missouri, which we do not have the $15 an hour raise, but um, I guess maybe they see the writing on the wall, and they're building a McDonald's where you order everything by iPad. So, um, you know, let's figure. If you got three guys on the front counter, now there's kiosk. So you've cut out three jobs per building. This is what happens when you start demanding pay that is not commensurate with the job you perform. Thank you. Okay, so let me first agree with the overall concept here. Pushing up minimum wage costs jobs. Okay, and I'm going to tell you what it actually harms far worse in a minute. Um, but... This concept, understand, I, I, when I say this, people get offended. So I'm going to say it in a way that maybe will help everybody be less offended by it. We are all programmed by the system, including me. Okay, so, And we always have to fight this programming. Remember, what do they call it when a bunch of executives get together at a network and determine what's going to be on the air for the next week, the next season, whatever. They call it programming. TV is programming. The news is programming. Radio is programming. On some levels, what I do is programming, even even me, because I have an agenda to get information out, and I'm, I'm, I'm giving it to you. The difference is, unlike the mainstream sources, sources like mine, not just mine, but sources like mine, encourage you to critically analyze and make your own determinations. And we're generally counter to the mainstream for the purpose of encouraging that thought, where the mainstream is unified. You've all seen the Conan things where they show you, you know, 500 different local news stations read the exact same words. 
They're a, a unified programming front. So the only place they bifurcate is into the false dichotomy. We need to get these people over here angry about this and those people over here angry about that. But in the end, what we damn sure want to make sure is they're angry at each other, not us. Okay? So this is a natural evolution of technology, all these kiosks. It is not necessary for a person to stand behind a counter and wait for you to come in and push buttons on a screen so that you can get a hamburger and french fries and a shake. It's not necessary. Let's forget about minimum wage. Just, it, that, just accept that that's not necessary. Now, let's think back to about 1965. When all the fast food chains are really coming up and all of these types of jobs were, you know, being rolled out. It kind of was necessary. The technology we have today wasn't there. Could you trust the person? But the consumer was a different person. The consumer lived in a house with a television set with a dial on it and rabbit ears. Consumer didn't know how to run a cash register, couldn't be trusted with money. The average consumer didn't have a credit card. They certainly didn't have a smartphone. So that job was necessary. So what's really changed is the necessity for someone to do that job. So let's examine something. Forget minimum wage. If I have you behind the counter for eight hours, but you only work for four, I'm paying you to stand there for four. If you don't come in, i got to get somebody else to do it. And this level of job is the lowest level of performance and the lowest level of reliability of employee. The reason these companies are going to this automation is because dealing with people is a pain in the ass. They get sick, they complain, they want things, they don't show up, right? They need to leave early to pick up their kid, whatever it is. Whether it's valid or not, it's a when and, and this is a problem. Most people have never run a division, a company, or even a floor, right? It, until you are in a leadership position where it's on you if it doesn't get done. You don't really understand what a pain, and the further up that you go, you, you think when you're young, when I'm, you know, regional VP, I'll have it made. Well, now, everybody's screw-ups fall on you. When I was a regional sales VP, I had 38 professional salespeople that did a great job most of the time, but occasionally did stupid shit, or didn't get certain things done, or couldn't get the reports in, and that was all on me, Right? So, so dealing with people sucks. Now add to it this nonsense about health insurance. Add to it the fact that when you hire someone and you pay them around minimum wage, the bulk of your cost in that person has nothing to do with their wage. It's a combination of insurance, and I'm not just talking about health, right? So it's because you have to have unemployment insurance on them, etc. It's what you call a burden labor rate. And a burden labor rate on a $9 an hour employee right now would be somewhere between $25 to $30 an hour. That's what, that's what it actually costs for that person to be in that business. When you fact, I know you don't believe that, some of you. Just trust me. So if I can eliminate that person, whether they're getting $9, $12, $15, doesn't matter, I'm still saving money. I could be paying them $4 an hour, and today with this technology, I would save money. And it's not going to get sick. And it's not going to demand a raise. And it's not going to not show up on time. It's going to work. And now I have a consumer that's been trained by technology to use technology. 
Ordering shit at a kiosk is like using your iPhone. That's what I have this new one. The guy's gonna, you're going to use your iPhone, your iPad, whatever. Order before you get there. It's better. It's more convenient. It's the same thing with Uber, right? So when I first started using Uber, it had nothing to do with money. It was like I pull my phone out, go, oh, there's six cars in the area. I get a black. I'm not going that far. How much would it be for like a really nice car, Uber Black? Twelve bucks. Yeah. So how long will I wait for an Uber Black? About four minutes estimate. Doom. Car comes. It's not necessary to have people circling around in cabs hunting for people or a dispatcher sitting there waiting for someone to call and then sending a car from one place to another when the car is far away. That, that technology has evolved and the consumer evolved with it. So minimum wage going up has nothing to do with this automation. So why are they reinforcing that it does? Because eventually millions of jobs are going to be lost And what they're going to want to do is have you fight with each other. Well, you wanted a $15 minimum wage. Well, you hate poor people, okay? Instead of being angry at them, because what they're going to have to say is, well, we got rid of you because we don't like you. and Because that's the truth. And employers generally don't like employees. Now, that doesn't mean you can't be a company that cares about your people. But when it comes down to it, if you ask any honest business owner, what is the biggest challenge in running a business? It's people. It takes a special leadership and a special leadership team to run a company of any size and deal with the people in it in a way that makes everybody reasonably happy. And what you end up with as a business owner is people working for you that resent you when everything you do is to keep the wheels on the car so that they can earn a living. And they think, well, you earn more than me. And like, well, you didn't take the risk. And this, this psychological barrier between employer and employee and this resentment, workers of the world unite under communism, that type of shit, is perfectly used by the current system. But in the end, whether... All across the board, if you can show me how to run my company with less people for the same money, let alone less money, I want to know how to do it. Because my job as a company owner is not to create jobs. It's to create a viable business by the most efficient means possible. And the person that comes first is not my employee, it's my customer. That might You might not like hearing it that way. But it's the truth. And if you ever run a business, you will understand immediately why it's the truth. And you'll understand why so many people have done what I've done. We used to be in businesses that employed people. The last business I was part of before I quit and came to do this full time, we employed, well, a partner in a holding company that had three companies below it. And in total, we employed almost 100 people. And I busted my ass to make those companies successful. And that contributed to almost a hundred jobs. And it was enough grief that my response was, I don't need any of this shit. I can go build something completely on my own and not have to deal with all of the problems. So if you could have also come to me at that time and said, you know what? We can replace people with technology. I'd have at least been open to it. And if nothing else, let's see how many people we can replace with technology and let me trim the fat and keep the best people, the people that I want working with me.
This is the truth. So minimum wage hurting employment, sure. But here's what it really hurts. Small business people. Did you know that Walmart wants the minimum wage raised? They do. The evil Walmart that you know just pays everybody minimum wage. The evil Walmart pays their workers at all levels, a starting wage of nine dollars an hour everywhere. That's the lowest paid person in Walmart makes nine dollars an hour. If you work for Walmart, you do not make minimum wage. First of all, just get some facts out there. But the reality is, if you push minimum wage up significantly, like the twelve, fourteen dollars an hour, something like that, fifteen dollars an hour, this is what's going to happen. Small businesses are the ones that get hurt. Small businesses just can't absorb that. A large corporation like a Walmart simply has access to capital. They have revolving credit lines, very, very significant ones. And they can last a lot longer on borrowed money than small companies can, even though small companies can also have revolving credit lines. So all they do is pull in borrowed money, immediately start paying more, raise their prices and wait for the economy to level for $15 as minimum wage, become the new poverty wage. And during that time, thousands and thousands of their competitors fold up shop. It's the same model they used when they moved into small towns, set up a Walmart, cut pricing to the bone, put everybody out, and then just floated the price back up to what works for them at their margins. And all of the entrepreneurs ended up working for Walmart. Hello, welcome to Walmart. This is our economic future. And if you get sidelined by this belief that they're putting in kiosks because of minimum wage when it ain't even happened yet, and we've been seeing these kiosks roll out more and more and more, then you don't understand the economic reality and you're less ready to deal with it. That's why we talk about this. Let's take another one. Hi, Jack. Jose from North Carolina here. Just wanted to comment on your uh, Weather Channel um, thing that you did. Uh, I appreciate you mentioned the Jockey Forbes Facebook page. I've uh, printed that, followed that, uh, and have it uh, top of my feed. I just wanted to add um, Weather Underground, uh, and you can actually – uh, access the uh, website for this at wunderground.com, and um, it's a uh, it's a mapping service that or, I'm sorry it's, it does Doppler radar mapping. Um, it's a full fledged weather app like you'd get with the uh, the old weather.com app, but the radar is actually uh, comes up about six minutes newer, so you'll actually get radar that's like one minute old. It's really good for dodging storms down there in Texas. So, um, anyways, I would have uh, framed this better uh, to get on the air if I was trying to. I just want to give you a shout-out let you know about it. Weather Underground is, uh, uh, is the way to go, in my opinion. I hope it works out for you as well. Thanks. So I've, I've had quite a few different uh, stuff come in on you know, a replacement for Weather Channel because they've, they've just – stripped what was the best weather alert service that there was. And they still on their app, they do have, if there's a, a, a storm warning in your area or a watch or whatever you want, you can set your alert profiles, and it will alert you through your phone, and, and that's good. Um, but what was really great on the storm maps on Weather Channel is you could just click uh, severe warnings and watches, and it just came up. And it not only came up with the area but it came up with a track on the storm, etc. cetera. Uh, Wonder Map on Weather Underground does seem to do that, um, but I can't verify it yet because I haven't played with it yet while there's something that's like actually with a tornado in it being tracked or what have you. It does show storm track information on the main map, but I don't see a place on the Wonder Map 
to actually put on the storm track data. It just shows active alerts. Right now I'm looking at South Texas, and it's all flood and uh, flood watches and warnings that are, are down there right now. So it is, it, is, it is the best I've seen out of everything that's been suggested, and I, I recommend using it. But, again, the best phone app that I've found that actually immediately shows without having to fuss around with it, when you pull up, if there's an active warning in your area, it just shows it, is the the, the Fox Weather app's been the best one. The NBC one was okay, too. Um, it, it's a shame still to me that weather.com has done what it's done. He met, And the, the caller mentioned Greg Forbes, so I'll say this again, for those who didn't hear the last show, uh, where we talked about this. Dr. Greg Forbes is the guy that came up with Torcon which is a rating index of what's the likelihood that during the particular time period there'll be a tornado within you know uh, 50 miles of you. So a four on a Torcon is a 40% chance that there'll be a tornado somewhere within 50 miles of your location. That doesn't mean 40% chance you'll have a tornado, but it gives you an indicator. And it's one of the best things that uh, I think has come out in the world of like getting a risk assessment for those of us that live where these things happen a lot. And during all of this crap with IBM getting the digital assets, he got pushed out of that stuff. And on Facebook, he publishes the Torcon data with, I think, actually better forecast maps than they used to. It looks kind of low-end because it's like somebody did it with paint on a PC or something. But he actually shows the areas where the numbers are. And I really recommend that you consider following him on Facebook and putting him. You can always click on a thing after you like a page. Ray where it says liked and hover, click there and you can say show these first. Um, those of you who live in places where you don't get many tornadoes, I know this is like so what. For those of us that live in a place like here in Texas, it's a concern. And it's a concern all year round, but it's certainly a concern right now. So I said though that something is about to change in the weather patterns that will lead us toward more truly severe weather, not just lots of rain, but tornadoes and things like that. This year we've had some really bad hail throughout the country, but we've had almost, you know, uh, a tornado drought. It's been much less than normal this time of year. Well, we had a really strong El Nino, and it's dropping, and we're heading into La Nina territory. And as that occurs, you should probably expect for the next couple months more incidences of severe weather and more incidences of severe weather in the form of, you know, tornadoes and and straight line winds in at high levels and what have and, and I don't want to become like meteorologist Jack right now. So there's a, a page at theweatherchannel.com that explains this after you watch one of their nine hour commercials. Uh, you can just read the article instead of watching the video and I'll put a link in today's show notes. But basically during warmer periods with El Nino, and that's why like the, the South had a very mild winter with a very strong El Nino is this just beginning now to shift and drop below El Nino into La Nina levels, and you can read all about what that means, you will start to see a pickup in storms that are truly damaging and dangerous. And it's just part of reality. And the area probably most affected by this is like northeast Texas, southeast Oklahoma, western Arkansas. Not that there's not a lot of other places with a lot of other tornadic activity, but susceptible to tornadoes during this phase that's kind of ground zero. Again, take a look at the article to learn more. And this is important for those of you that live in the South and the Midwest to know that there's just the probability. Don't get lulled into a false sense of security. 
because this is one of the major threats we face in the United States from a natural disaster uh, standpoint. Let's take another call. Hi, Jack. This is Al. Uh, I've been hearing you talk a lot about the Uber for app and how great that would be, and it's something I finally realized is it's the same idea a friend of mine gave me a few years ago, and it's something I've been working on for the past you know, few years. I've got a prototype up right now at something called Spot It Up, as it spotitup.net, and uh, still in the prototype stage. There's no login. You just go in and you use it. There will be one down the line. But now I just figured put it in front of you and put it in front of the community and start getting some feedback on it. It's designed to work on phones, on desktops, on everything. And, again, it's spotitup.net. Um, love to hear what you think about it and where I could go best with it to best serve the community and, you know, other people in general. Yeah. Uh, thanks for all you do. Too. All right, well, I'm going to suggest that maybe we start discussing this with the caller in the show notes for today's episode, those of you that would like to uh, ask him questions about it, because to be blunt, I don't get it. I go there, it asks if it's okay to know my location. I'm like, Google knows that. Anyway, fine, sure. And it shows a map and says you're kind of in this area, and yeah, I am. And then you can search with tags. So you stick something in there like handyman or pool service or something like that, and nothing happens, and it's probably because no one's using it. So I don't really know how we can help right now. I love the idea, and maybe with some dialogue and some people to ask as test subjects, this can be developed further. So I'm going to leave that in the hands of the audience and the developer here to determine, you know, how do you go forward with this? Because right now all I see is a an empty map that knows where I'm at. So that that doesn't really work yet as far as I'm concerned but maybe I'm missing something so I'm also asking this guy to come to the site and explain what we should be doing to try it because I don't understand what to do to try it and sometimes when you develop something you know how it works and you just think it's obvious and maybe I'm missing something so I'm not sure there but I love the idea and I do think we need multiple apps like this to build community because What I see when I look down the streets of a neighborhood today is a whole bunch of people that live right next to each other completely isolated from each other. And, and they have no idea the actual economy that exists right in their own backyards, the, the true local economy. Your true local economy isn't Walmart or even Joe Blow's you know, handyman store that's 10 miles away from you. you. Your true local economy is Bob and Sam and Phil and Mark and Debbie and Sue that all live right around you. And all of those people have skills. All of those people have things of value. All of those people have a desire to have services and, and, and products, and all of them have the ability to provide services and products. And the strength in community is in doing business with each other. And that's how we can evolve communities forward. So I'm very interested in seeing more stuff like this. Let's take another one. Hey, Jack. This is Chad from Ohio. And uh, I've been interested in your talks about anarchy, and I'd like to know your opinion about how we would deal with radical groups like ISIS and terrorism in an uh, anarchy society. Thanks for all you do. I'm looking forward to your answer. Okay, this is a common thing. and In this case, it's ISIS, right? Or another country that wants to go to war with us, or how would we provide schools, or how would we make sure the poor are fed, or whatever. And this is a common thing that people ask. 
when they start to objectively and honestly examine the concept of anarchy from a moral standpoint. It, it, it's, it's not that they're totally opposed to it at this point. Because there are the people that are like, Maroach! Where would I get Maroach? We never have... Okay, yes, we can't build a flat thing, I know. And, and people like that get very upset when you kind of basically just go, I can't, I can't deal with you. you you're, you're programmed. And, and the reality is a person that's in that state, you can't have the conversation with them yet. A person that's in this state where they're like, well, fine, but how would we? And it's a legitimate question. Then you can have the conversation. But I think that... Many people that are either anarchists or basically like anarcho-libertarian, there should be a tiny little bit of cancer, I mean state left behind, right? Um, who, by the way, I have great respect for and great relationships with people that are libertarians, and I think our goals are the same, and I think it'll make sense as to why that's the case if we look at it this way. The problem that people have when they look at adopting an anarchist philosophy is they, they, they are thinking way too short term. So it's as though we would throw a switch. They're thinking like election cycle timelines. Well, Ask Clown A didn't work out, and Ask Clown uh, B that's running for office seems a lot like A, so Ask Clown C is the best choice, so we'll just make a change, and then it'll change, and then it doesn't change. But you at least have the illusion of that and the illusion of control. So they're thinking in these shorter time cycles, daily, monthly, annually, maybe maybe out a decade at the most. This is seventh generational thinking. This is an evolution toward a philosophy of self-governance. So let's look at it from a completely different standpoint. Imagine that we go back in time, over a hundred years now I think it is, Orbel and Wilver Wright have just completed the first mechanized flight and you say you know what we should do we should attempt to build a flying machine that will go to the moon and everybody says you can't do it, it'll never work how would we get out of the atmosphere how would we keep people alive how would we get enough energy to break the atmosphere how would we, you know, how would we pay for it how And it just we shouldn't even bother to go past where Wilbur and Orville went with this little plane at Kitty Hawk. We should just be happy that we have that and just stop right there. Or we can actually imagine if we had said that back then, right? If in 1903, which I think is when they did that, right? If in 1903 people went, do you know what? If we can do this, then we can do that. Do you think we might have got there quicker? Because then it would have been, here's a goal, let's start working on it. And in reality, we did, because people were able to conceive of, okay, this only went a little bit, but if we can make something that goes a little bit more, and a little bit more, and a little bit more, and then technology takes over an evolution, and it's not that many years later... 1927, the song Oysters and Pearls springs to mind. Lindbergh left Long Island in 1927, dumbed his nose at gravity, and climbed up to the heavens, right? Okay? So that was not that far between the time that Lindbergh flew from America to Europe across the ocean alone. 
And that all started with this thing that was this little bitty thing that probably a lot of people th thought was just a novelty and not that important, or the automobile, right? So Henry Ford didn't invent the automobile, but he invented the process of making the automobile affordable for all. And look what we have today to choose from in cars and trucks and vehicles as a whole. And this, this is the natural evolution of technology. Well, it's an, if technology evolves that way, it only evolves that way because we evolve that way. So on, on some levels, we should be looking for technological replacements for government. And, and how will we deal with ISIS? Well, you know what? How will we get through the radiation belt without frying everybody that's in the space capsule on the way to the moon? You know what, until we get to the point where we're ready to skin that cat, let's not worry about that. Let's find out all these other things, and we will, by necessity, by need, by evolution, learn to deal with these things along the way. And we can start peeling away layers of government, which is what libertarians want to do. And this is what I've always said. Libertarians and, and anarchists should have no conflict. Fake anarchists that are actually communists, sure, but they don't count because they're not real anarchists, okay? So, to get to that point, you can't throw a switch and have it work. If you threw a switch and just did away with the state right now, the, the media version of anarchy that would result would result in the rise of a police state like nothing you've ever seen before. It would create the opposite, op, absolute opposite effect of what you would want as a peaceful, you know, peaceful peace-loving anarchist or libertarian. You, you would get the exact opposite. You get the thing everybody's afraid of. Well, anarchists are not stupid people. Okay? We understand this. Libertarians are not stupid people. We understand this. But what's frustrating when you're trying to explain the way of thinking is that everybody wants to jump to the end game and say, well, how would we when we haven't even gotten started yet? Because imagine if somebody said 10 years ago, we should create a currency that can be used all over the world, that can replace government monopoly currencies. It should be more secure than government currencies. It should be designed to increase in value over time rather than decrease. It should be completely decentralized. No one should be able to manipulate it or control it. People should be able to use it in any country. People should be able to exchange it publicly or privately. And you should be able to do business with a friend or a giant company with this type of currency, and it should write government out of the equation. How many how-would-we's would we have gotten to that suggestion? I, I, I reckon thousands and thousands. The government won't let you. It's illegal. It violates legal tender. By the way, the government can't stop you. It's not illegal. It doesn't violate legal tender laws at all. Okay? just doesn't. So... Now, the government wanted to stop it, sure, but the, the solution was complete decentralization. Who will you go after? We got Silk Road, took their Bitcoin. Okay? That's not Bitcoin. It reminds me of my father, who used to tell me the Internet was going to go broke. And I, I'd sit, Dad, the Internet is not a company. And finally it came out what he was saying. He thought AOL was going to go broke. He thought AOL was the Internet. And, and that's the problem, I think, with a lot of people looking at anarchy. You're looking at the existing apparatus of the state rather than the path to removal of that state. 
It's a path. It's a long path. So how might we deal with ISIS? Well, let's start out with the fact, whether you like to hear this or not, that without our government intervening in other nations and supplying arms to people they should have never given arms to, ISIS would be no threat because it wouldn't exist. We've literally created ISIS, and that's not conspiracy theory. There's enough documented facts to show that the United States created ISIS. So now, so that we're not shirking and just saying, eh, you know, ISIS, right? right? So that we're not playing the game that people do with Marauds as anarchists. Let's say that we did have a well-organized, large group with lots of resources bent on our destruction. How would we deal with that? On some levels, we don't know exactly what our solution would look like. But mutual defense is something that human beings have been doing for a very long time. So it stands to reason that, that, we, that within an anarcho-nation, okay, you would have defense forces and you would have defense technologies. And people think that like that's not what anarchy would have. People say, I had a conversation with somebody on Facebook yesterday. It says, an anarchist is anyone that rebels against all authority and rules. And authority and rules are what keeps us in line. Okay, so you don't know what anarchy is. Anarchy is not the absence of rules, but the absence of rulers. What anarchy is about is that you and I have voluntary associations And if you're doing things that I'm not about that, I can go find some other group to voluntarily associate with, and you can't use coercion to keep me there. That's really, in a nutshell, what it is. It's the belief that to take anybody's property, freedom, or liberty without their consent through the use of force and violence is wrong. Period. To make anyone participate in something they do not wish to participate in when they're not harming anybody, is wrong. So what we have to start from is, does that make moral sense? Do you take all of the what-ifs and just put them on the shelf for 10 minutes and just ask yourself, does that make moral sense? And if the answer to you is yes, not, but I don't understand how, let that, the F, go for a minute. Just let it go. Because I, I don't understand how, We're going to make a device that people can carry in their pocket that has more computing power than the computer banks NASA used to put a guy on the moon. Doesn't mean it can't be done, right? We have to actually start with the, the desire to actually get it done for it to happen. So if we can actually all look at it and say, you know what? In a perfect world, because this is the one I love, in a perfect world, anarchy makes total sense. If there weren't bad people and bad governments and, and everybody was willing to do their share and pull their weight, this would be the best way to live in the world, but it won't work because that's not how people are. Great. We agree then. We completely agree right up to that's not the way people are. Okay, I believe that's not the way some people are, and I believe it's exactly the way the majority of people are if they're not being controlled by a tyrant. But we're also programmed to behave in inhuman ways now, and we have to start reversing that. So what we agree upon is this would be the ideal. This would be, if we could do it, perfection. If you could create a society where no one had their property taken from them against their will, 
where no one was incarcerated or attacked or had violence used against them unless they were harming somebody else, and no one could be coerced to be part of something they didn't want to be part of, and yet we could have all of the services that we need to have a good life, that would be, that would be ideal. Okay, if, if that makes sense, then why don't we try to get there? Why don't we try to get there? Why don't we look for every place where we can replace something that right now we think only the government and state can do and nullify it, eliminate it, remove it, and strip it down? Now, here's where the libertarian and the anarchist have their disagreement. There's a point of the stripped-down process where the libertarian says, well, when we get there, we should stop. Here's how I feel about that. Our great, 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 great grandchildren, God willing, can figure that out when they get there. Because you, me, and the horse you rode in on ain't going to see that happen. We are not going to have to worry about dealing with an organization like ISIS in a stateless society in our lifetime. We are at Kitty Hawk. We're trying to get Lindbergh to Paris. Our, 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 our seventh generation down grandkids can put the rocket on Mars. And if we start looking at it that way, we stop having all of these but, 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 but... And we turn to what can we do now without them? Because that leads to action versus debate. Because action is making something like Bitcoin. Action is organizing your community to replace government services now, whatever you can. And until we can start thinking that way, and until anarchists are willing to start explaining it that way, Anarchy will remain a very tiny, tiny, tiny sliver of a splinter. I, I would reckon that less than one quarter of one percent of people in America today identify as anarchists. And of that group, there's a whole bunch of them that are nothing but communists in disguise. Now, let me be clear. In an anarchy, you can have all the communism you want. You can have all the socialism you want. You can have all the capitalism you want. You can have all the fill-in-the-blank you want. So long as you do not coerce others into participating in it with you. The minute you do that, you've gone from anarchist to statist. So when people say, well, we have to have the people control the means of production or whatever. No. People should control the means of production that they have the ability to control, that they can gain through voluntary cooperation with each other, and they should be able to run that however the hell they want. As long as I don't have to participate, good on you. But if you're going to make me participate, now you're a state. Now you're using violence and coercion. Now you're not an anarchist. So what do we do as modern anarchists? We accept the interactive edge with the state. We accept our place in history. And we begin to deconstruct the state by replacing it, by rendering it irrelevant. And we take a big problem like how would we fight a global war and say, you know what? If we can actually make this work, maybe there'll be a hell of a lot less of those to fight in the first place. Because people don't go to war. People don't go to war. Governments go to war, and then they send people to fight them.
And that's reality. States declare war and take warlike actions upon other states and then take their subjects, which are supposed to be citizens, and send them to die and to kill others. So maybe if this philosophy could grow globally over time, there'd be a lot less of that conflict. And here's the point to drive home. There has been a times in history when men have killed other men for the control of salt and pepper. Okay? There have been wars fought for the control of salt reserves and pepper and many other things. Today we fight over oil. More accurately, energy. When's the last time you saw a war over salt or pepper? And the answer is never. You'll probably have to go look up the fact that there were wars over salt and pepper to believe me. Some of you won't believe that there were, but you can go look it up and you'll find out there were. So why not? Why are there no wars over salt and pepper today? Is it hard to get salt? Is it hard to get pepper? Is it expensive? Is it rare? Do you have to go out and mortgage a kidney to get a, a couple pounds of salt? No, it's cheap. Available and abundant. We fight wars over scarcities. We fight war over scarcity. The more abundance you create, then the less there is to fight for. When people can acquire what they want through work, they generally will do it. When you create factions and layers and caste systems within societies and tell people you don't have enough because they do, and we should take it from them and give it to you, Both of those people want to fight. And whether it's over who ships oil where or how much of your paycheck you get to keep, all that changes is the scale of the battle and the amount of violence. So how would we handle ISIS with anarchy? I think long term, 200 years out, we could pretty much mitigate concepts like an ISIS to irrelevancy. And the small pieces that would be left would be easily put down through mutual defense contracts and mutual defense agreements from multiple groups who just want to be left alone to do their own shit. And the one thing that none of them will tolerate is someone taking that away. That's how I think we would handle it. I hope that makes sense. Let's take one more and we'll wrap up for the day. Hey, Jack. Trucker Sam from Southeast Virginia. I live in a mobile home park, so I'm limited to a three-foot flower bed around the trailer and container gardening. However, my lot is aligned north and south with a mature hardwood forest at the north end facing south that actually gets sun most of the day. Uh, like my name suggests, I'm a truck driver, so I'm gone for days at a time or weeks at a time. What kind of set-it-and-forget-it type options or suggestions can you come up for this? Um, P.S., like to thank you for the show and the community that's grown up around it. Thanks, brother. Okay, well, let's start out with the easiest thing you could do with the little flower garden bed. So you, you plant whatever needs to be planted there, but before you do that, you clear it out, you lay down cardboard, uh, and you might even lay down a fabric weed blocker uh, uh, above the cardboard, and then you mulch it with wood, And then you put in a drip irrigation system on a timer so you don't have to worry about watering it. And you plant stuff there that's pretty low-maintenance stuff. You're not going to want to plant like lettuces and stuff like that 
Um, though maybe you would at certain times of year because you have cut and come again type things going on like that. So that that's what you do there. For anything beyond that, I would just recommend that you put in self-watering container, container gardens. And there's a bunch of different ways to do that. And I'll talk about a few, but if you just put in self-watering container garden on Google, especially YouTube, you will find hundreds of options. You will find the one that you think works best for you. One of them I really like is, and I don't know if this is the scale you'd want to operate at, but it's from Larry Hall. And it's called uh, Gutter Grow Beds or something like that. And I have a link in the show notes today where you can see like the, the first one he ever built. And if you check his channel, he's got dozens and dozens of videos on this type of system now. And basically what he does is he takes a, 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 a stick of rain gutter, you know, like you hang on your roof from the store, and they're pretty cheap, uh, vinyl stuff, and two two-by-fours, and you put caps on the end of the rain gutter so it'll hold water. And you take your two two-by-fours and you attach the rain gutter to that so it's like a trough. And then you pop a hole in the end of the rain gutter and you put a float valve in there. And then you attach that float valve to a hose, and that can either be like a low pressure from a hose bib, or better would be a rain barrel with just a gravity flow, or even a rain barrel that you fill with the hose if there's not been enough rain. Because if you put, you know, a 55-gallon blue poly drum against the side of your home and fill that up with water, that's going to take care of that system easily for a week or two. Right, So plenty of time for you to make your runs and be home to do some harvesting and maintenance and, and go back out. So now you don't have to worry about watering, which is the main thing you'll have to deal with. The other main thing you have to deal with to keep a lid on a garden is weeding. Since you're in containers, that should be minimal to no problem whatsoever. So then the, what he does next is you take a, a, a what, what do you call it, a, a, I want a, a hole saw. That's right, okay, hole saw. And you drill a hole in the bottom of the bucket, and you put a, um, a net cup in there. A net cup is like a cup they use for uh, aquaponics. Pop that in the bottom. You fill that with dirt. And you sit the bucket on the two two-by-fours, and the net cup goes down into the um, rain gutter, which is full of water. And every time too much water comes out of the rain gutter and it needs more, the float valve drops, and the water comes out of your rain barrel or other source of water and keeps it topped up. So now you've got, I think he said, one stick of rain gutter will hold 10 five-gallon buckets. You've got them all in a single source of water. You have no weeding pressure whatsoever. You have a constant, good-quality moisture that's available. And all you do is harvest. You put some little trellis behind it or something like that. And, you know, 10, 10, you know, 10 or build two of them, 20 of those, can grow plenty of food, especially for someone that's not home that often, for fresh vegetables. So that would be another option. Another option that I saw, like a lot of people do, the self-watering gardens, you take one five-gallon bucket and you put another five-gallon bucket inside it and you put a pipe in it and then a drain. And you fill that and you got holes in the second bucket so that the water can wick up. And Okay, great, but you have to use two buckets. So I found this girl on YouTube. What she does is take a milk jug and take a piece of fabric, uh, maybe a couple feet long, and it's like a wick strip of fabric, and then take a piece of PVC pipe. You take the PVC pipe, and you push the fabric into the milk jug, and you put a couple holes at the top of the milk jug as well, and then you take the, fa the fabric is long enough that it comes over the sides of the milk jug. You take that whole apparatus and stick that down into a five-gallon bucket, and then you fill dirt up in that five-gallon bucket. Now that pipe goes down into the milk jug. So you can fill your milk jug through the pipe, and it waters from underneath. And that wick, that fabric that's inside 
the milk jug wicks water out to the soil, and then you have a hole in the side of the bucket at a certain height so that if it fills up too fast, it won't drown out your plant and it will drain. And then you just fill the water up through the pipe. Now, if you set up four or five of those on your porch, if you fill a gallon of water into one of those and you're gone for a week, your plants will be fine. A gallon of water is a lot of water in a system like that. So that's another way to do it. And there's tons and tons of tons. But for anybody in your situation, a, a wicking, self-watering type of arrangement is what I would recommend in a container. Because it eliminates your two biggest chores, watering and weeding. right? And you're going to end up with complete control over the soil. So you can buy high-quality soil that you know has good nutrient for your plants. And don't be afraid to fertilize. Now, I would recommend... Uh, organic fertilizers, but don't be afraid to fertilize. And let me say this. Those of you that have vegetables and you plant them and it's good and everything should be good and they just look unhappy, go to a liquid fertilizer. You can get plenty of different organic fertilizers. Go to a balanced liquid fertilizer and feed the damn plant. Now, you'll probably find a lot of these plants that struggle and limp along. Early in the season, the soil's cold. There's not a lot of biological activity. Even when you use a granulated fertilizer, it tends to not get to the plant very quickly. You give it a couple liquid feeds. The plant perks up, and it starts growing. If it starts to perk down again, feed it again. But don't feed it as long as it looks happy and healthy. As long as it looks like it's going and blowing, as it develops its root system, as it develops exudate relationships with the life in the soil, you can you can stop feeding it. You can go back to using worm castings and compost and stuff like that. But I see so many people with these plants, and the plants like yellow and spindly and unhappy, and it's like, you know, just get it a good liquid organic fertilizer. And I would tell you this. Before I let that plant die, if I can't find a good liquid fertilizer, I'd go put some miracle Grow on it. I really would. Plain old-fashioned miracle grow, Not over and over and over again. Just enough to get the plant alive and healthy and vibrant. And then it will find. When it builds that root system and builds those relationships, it will be fine. Now, again, this would be my last choice. I've tried other fertilizers. They haven't worked. Or... Uh, I can't get something right now, and this plant is probably going to die, or it's going to just be so miserable it's not going to be productive. And I can get something like a miracle Grow, And I would only use enough to make it work. And I would only, and this is also something I would only do with annuals. Um, if you have perennials that have this problem, you've got a, a, a systemic level problem you need to fix. But a lot of times, peppers, tomatoes, cucumbers, things like that, and again, there are good organic liquid fertilizers. Uh, I really like Garrett juice, uh, but it's like a one 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 or one 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 point one or two one. It's like very very low, and it's more of a, a foliar feed, something you spray on the plant. And sometimes it's not enough to get that kind of weak plant perked. So there are other options. One that I really like that uh, I recommend you can get off Amazon. Uh, and it's a concentrate, so you can order without, you know, having this huge thing that they're going to make you pay a lot of shipping on or something like that. Um, it's uh, called Dr. Earth Premium Gold Organic Fertilizer. And shipping's a non-concern because it's on Prime. And I found a lot of times when you look at liquid products for fertilizers on Amazon, they're not on Prime because they waste a daggone much. So this is a concentrate. It's 24 ounces. So $15.59, they'll send this stuff to you. It is a 4-4-4, four, 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 meaning four parts nitrogen, 
four parts phosphorus and four parts potassium. I like balanced fertilizers. I don't like to see like 5105, right? Because that lets you just simply use as much as necessary and you're giving a balanced uh, addition. In spite of what I just said, I also like a product called Neptune, Neptune's Harvest Organic Hydrolyzed Fish and sea, Seaweed Fertilizer. This stuff works really good. It's a 241. Um, so the way I would use the two products I mentioned, I would use the Dr. Earth to get the plant kind of looking good. And then you use this hydrolyzed stuff, uh, which is basically fish and seaweeds, kelp and fish meal. And use that more of kind of keeping things going and happy. And those are both organic. So there would be a reason to not ever even need, you know, miracle Grow. But I, when I say that I would go ahead and use a product like that, here's what I'm saying. You are in a situation where if you don't get your garden produced, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt you. Like, like you're relying on it. And things aren't right. And it's not a pest problem. It's a lack of thrive. And you've got it. And it's available And you don't want to wait because, it, you know, maybe that's all you can get because we're going to shit at the fan or something like that. Then then I'm not going to sit here and, and, and lose my crop out of some moral obligation to be organic. And, again, I want it to be my last choice. But I guess part of it is I grew up with a grandfather that loved the environment. He loved his garden. And I can tell you the food we ate was wonderful. It was so much better than anything you can buy in the store. It's what made me love gardening. And 95% of what he did was organic. We used compost and horse manure and stuff like that. Uh, he started all his own seeds and, and everything. We had a garden of about a quarter of an acre. We fed not just our own family, but tons of people in the community toward the end of the season. I would be sent to deliver vegetables to older people who couldn't garden anymore. And the one thing he used... The two things he used that wasn't organic. One was really not organic. It was seven dust. And he used that for cabbage flies. And I would not use that product today. But he also used it on the plants before they started to bear, before they started to put head on. So that stuff is bad, but it could be worse. And it, it did keep his plants alive. And that's all he knew. So there's other ways to deal with that today. I could dust that with diamantaceous earth today and get just as good of results. He didn't know that. The only other thing he used that wouldn't, you wouldn't call organic was miracle Grow, And I want to point out, he only used the seven dust on broccoli and cauliflower. He grew the, grew the cabbage early enough in the year that the cabbage flies weren't a problem with it. Um, so miracle Grow, And I know what that can do. I know how well that can work. I'm not happy about what it can also be as far as a negative, but I also know that There's a reality, folks. You breathe in, you exhale, 60,000 toxins just went through your body. Your body can handle toxins. What it can't handle is toxins on a regular basis on an overload. And I would only use that again if it was no other choice. And I've just given you two great products that you can substitute for that. Uh, however, if you have serious nitrogen deficiencies, miracle Grow makes an organic fertilizer, liquid fertilizer, that is basically fermented beet juice. And sometimes that's hard to find. But if you are just looking at where it looks like that plant needs nitrogen, and that means that your pepper plant's yellow, it's crying for nitrogen. That is one of the best products, and that is an organic product. It is nothing but fermented beet juice. It will not harm anything in the soil or you or your pets or anybody else. But that has become very difficult to find. I can never find it on Amazon. I don't see it in the stores like I used to. 
Um, but it's it's a great product. Blood meal and bone meal are other products that you can use to fertilize. But all of these solid fertilizers never have that immediate turning around of a sickly little plant the way these liquid fertilizers do. And I, and I would say if you're going to use one thing out of everything I recommended today, Dr. Earth Premium Gold Organic. Now, understand this. A lot of these companies, okay, a lot of these companies like you know Dr. Earth and whatever, under their labels, produce conventional and organic products. So Dr. Earth has a whole bunch of fertilizers that are conventional chemical fertilizers. So make sure you're looking for an organic product when you're doing this, okay? All right, so that brings us to the end of today's show. I want to remind you not just the products I just mentioned that you can buy on Amazon to support the show. If you're shopping on Amazon, just go to tspaz.com, uh, and, and, and you will shop on Amazon through the Survival Podcast affiliate link. And it won't cost you any more money, so you can support us doing what you were going to do anyway. And that is a great way to support us. And since I've set up that, uh, our Amazon affiliate sales have gone way, way up. And so a lot of you guys that say, I'd like to join the MSB, but I can't, or it doesn't work for me or whatever, um, if you buy anything on Amazon, that's the way you can support us. So, so simple. TSPAZ.com. It even takes you less time to type in than Amazon.com. Next up, if you do want to join the Member Support Brigade, we'd really appreciate that. That is our primary source of revenue here at the Survival Podcast. It is how we're able to do all of the great things that we do to try to provide information and negotiate discounts and everything else that we do. Uh, you will get discounts that will more than pay for your membership if you use them. And I just want to say to everybody that is a member of the, of the Support Brigade or ever has been, even for one month, Thank you. You have helped us immensely, and I appreciate you very, very much for supporting the show and the work that we do. Uh, next up, you can also do business with members of the TSP community at tspbiz.com. That is the business directory, and uh, it is really a great way to find people to do business with and to be found by other members of the community. I hear from people every day that say they've gotten new customers from being on the directory. Today's featured member of the directory is especially cool, Second Amendment Jewelry. They provide gifts, jewelry, and accessories made from spent shell casings. You can use the uh, coupon code TSPBUS Directory in their Etsy store for 10% off your entire order. That is in their listing. I'll have a link to that as well today. But how cool is that? Taking something like spent ammunition brass and making cool stuff out of it, and other than just pens, right? I bet they do pens, so don't take that wrong. But I mean, everybody and their brother makes you know pens out of uh, shell casings and turned wood, and that's a cool thing in of itself. But the more you can do, the broader the appeal you can get. So that's a lesson in building a business right there. I love seeing all the businesses you guys come up with uh, to, to further your own financial security out there. It really is probably one of the best dividends I've ever got out of the years of work I've put into TSP is you know getting a box of soap in the mail from somebody that says we're selling it like Honey Locust Home does or stuff like that. Um, when I get that, and, you know, it, it, it was just like a, a single little thing. It's not about like, oh, you gave me a gift and it's a monetary value. It's actually seeing that you, you're doing something. And then the, the big gift is always the story that comes with it. We started out with this. It didn't work. We did that. We went over here. And now we're doing X amount of I – mean, it's just awesome. And, guys, self-sufficiency and self-reliance, I don't know if you've looked around, but – we use money for now, right? And having control over your money is having control over your life. So really consider building a business. And if you have done so, consider supporting the business directory by becoming a member. It's so cheap. I mean, there's different levels you can participate at with featured listings and all, but you can list your site for five bucks. 
and we were going to make it free. The only reason we did it for five bucks, it destroyed spamming immediately. We didn't have to worry about it anymore. So five bucks for a, a membership or a, a listing for a year. And with that, let's look at our closing song today. Um, the guy that I have picked out for you today is a guy, you'll probably either know him and already really like him, or you're going to hear him for the first time today, and you'll either like him or not so much. Okay, It's a distinctive, very country kind of grassroots country sound. His name is Chris Knight. And I first learned about him from a listener that sent me a couple of his songs and said, you should listen to this guy. And this was long before I was doing the song of the day at the end of the day. This song I picked out today because I think it looks forward toward the shit at the fan many of us are preparing for and hope never happens. It's called You Can't Trust No One. But I also picked it today because we did talk quite a bit about anarchy. And there's This song's not an anarchist song, but it has an anarchist component to it that most people aren't even aware of. It, 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 it talks about the difference between people in cities and towns, etc., but also mentions the, the hills and the valley. This is actually the primary divide between stateless societies and the statist societies of modern civilization. The hill people are always the people that were more self-reliant and independent and less trusting of government. And the hill people, the jungle people, the people that weren't agricultural people, the people that were horticultural people, right? they might have kept some animals, they might have had a garden, what have you, but they weren't out in the civilized plains, had far less need or desire for government. And that's just an interesting dynamic you'll hear play out in this song. And right before it all goes completely to hell in this song, and it does by the end, tell me so many of you don't feel this way right now. Come home from the town hall meeting, hate to say it, didn't go so well. Finally told them all I was going home, and they could all go to hell. I took my children in my arms, going to keep them close to me. The world just keeps on changing. I don't like what I see. With that in mind, I'll also let you know the chorus says, People won't you come together, we've all got to live as one. I ain't right sure what that means, but I reckon it sounds like fun. And that's basically, it'd be great if we could, but I don't think we can. So everybody pack, pack your picnic lunch and everybody pack your gun, because you can't trust no one. I'm playing this song in spite of that, because I believe we can all trust the people that have earned our trust. And I think our goal toward evolving things forward in a positive way should be to build trust with others. It's amazing what can be done. But what you're about to hear, it's going to ring true in a lot of ways, and it's the alternative. And by the end, you'll see it ain't pretty. So let's try to avoid it, but be prepared for it if it comes. And with that, this has been Jack Spierko with another edition of the Survival Podcast. Help me figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't.